Our tastes are changing, and so too are our demands for what we want to listen to. Our changing. So gone are the days of the world that hear somebody quote what is Ramat would say. And and I'm and forgive me for what I'm about to say because I do not share the same. But gone are the days of the world. And my mama says it's many hollers. And my thing is that she hollers instead of singing. That's my mama. I think she hates me because this daddy will be gone. Why we don't have a ton of what 
this taking place in the last two decades and tens, and now we're moving into the twenties, hasn't really produced. We, we haven't, uh, powerhouse singers have not emerged um, in the same way that, that they emerged in the 90s, 80s, and to a certain extent, the 70s. Because um, we can take it all the way back to when it was cool, when like the folks were really gaining footing and gaining popularity uh, commercially, is the fact that a lot of the singers from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the powerhouse singers that we're used to, who sing now, beyond the last church, they were their talents most dated in our church, our church. Literally, the uh, a religious Christian church, but even in a Christian church, usually it's the coaching, the AME, um, the apostolic, Southern Baptist, those denominations that have been with us the longest for the most part. Um, and this is very much from the Black American perspective. I cannot tell you as a Black, from a Black British perspective. Black, uh, perspective. I, I'm not, I don't know about that, and I certainly wouldn't even begin to understand the nuance, the nuances in African countries like South Africa. Um, I'm specifically thinking about South Africa, South Africa, a lot of, well, actually, let me not be countries all over that continent, the African continent, have produced wonderful musicians, singers. Um, although although uh, the rhythm section, the rhythm section is important specifically in the black church, I know it's going to be here. The rhythm section is important in, in this whole thing too. That's not explicit because it's part of the cultivating of, of again switching back to black American powerhouse singers because that's where the conversation is or where I'm hearing it. Um, when you're talking about Black American powerhouse singers, part of those folks that were, as the thought is saying, cultivated in the Black church were also created their voices and their stations and how they were practiced by the Black musicians. Right? And on this whole way, I've got a lot of people. Somebody else said, Who's the 
Sanders, who up in Black Church. You know, uh, we have a saying just now, and it's like my position is no matter what, I don't know the wrong position. You should have been my position. But specifically, Black American Sanders growing up in Black Church. You know, I'm saying just about anything. Um, But watching that movie and, and 
listening to Morgan Lynch Schultz sing that song, I have been enamored with her singing since I was a child. And if I'm honest, every time I sing a gospel hymn or I'm leading a real good, one of those real, one of those songs where you need to stand flat-footed to sing, if you're singing, you know exactly what I'm talking about, flat-footed, back arch, head straight forward, and you got to let that, you got to let those notes out. I feel like, I feel like I'm better to be honest with you. That moment was singing. That was a singer. I don't know what happens to that woman in her career after the color purple. But I just know that it's her and singers like her that have inspired me to really just let loose and and go on and sing and not do anything. Go on and sing. To show my appreciation for those folks that have been around me to, that have been cultivating me and then, so anyway I, I attribute that singer to one of the many talented people that I've been I've seen on the film and I've imitated or seen in person and worked with in person help me craft the singer I did. Anyway, well my point is See how seamlessly they kind of blended in. Now the thing about it is, those were studio musicians. But that also was my point because a studio musician that can play it all, that can sing it all, and again, the woman that plays Shakespeare went from singing the blues to singing a gospel right? And why did it sound so
a New Orleans inspired jazz group for musicians who came out of New Orleans and they were running around playing it like the cast of a Vietnam very good band. They were awesome. Every time they played it, they played down anything. If you hear you hear it, there's a there's a certain style of play, there's a certain intonation that you just get because it's kind of a melting kind of dumb. And so it and then this training also comes from a certain experience. And so the corner of black Twitter that I'm in here, the conversation is you can't recreate this system for that scenario. Manufacture a bunch of Mariah Carey's. You're not gonna get Mariah Carey. You're not. You're not gonna get a Mariah Carey unless that person has. Well, you're not gonna get a Mariah Carey. You're gonna get someone pretty close. Like everybody says, JoJo is pretty close to Mariah Carey, and I confess, I think I've heard JoJo sing too much. But unless you already have that doctrine aptitude, and you are studying at the person's feet by consistently. Down, and then you're also working with trained musicians who have that experience. It's just not, it's not as easily as attained these days. And again, in the music business, what we know about the music business or what folks have shared is they're all about successful formulas. And so it's almost like they're, they're telling us what our taste is. And so our taste, they're going back to the argument that maybe we want different singers these days. I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's, we want different singers. We're demanding different singers these days. We don't need them to be powerhouses. Because look at Janae Aiko. Look at Janae Aiko and some of those other singers. I apologize not to be shady because I don't know that sounds like I'll be honest with you, I'll listen to an R&B music. I'll listen to to their being, their, their talent being cultivated in the church. 
But it's in, it's all the, the it always goes back to the separation of the artists. It's not necessarily talking about the generation of musicians and artists and why they were so successful and why they can sing down, why they can sing so many different ways and nuances and genres is because of their like I, that conversation. I don't know if that's a mainstream conversation. I'm loving mainstream so that we can invite more people into the dialogue, but I've just been really enjoying this conversation. And if you are not a part of the Black the Diaspora, certainly uh, if you're not in the Black church, uh, Black American church, or I'm not willing to believe, I'm willing to believe that the denominations that I mentioned, any denominations that are similar that are coming out of countries that have to be Probably there's the same conversations are happening, or some semblance of that conversation is happening. Because if there is a certain way of singing, there's a certain way of there's a certain musicianship that comes out of your circumstance. It's just it's just the way it is. It's like I mean, but I don't and I don't even think that this is specific to black di- the diaspora, religious diaspora, black diaspora. Like I don't even think it's just specific to us. I think it's specific. I think if you're talking about a cultural export for a cultural product, I think the thing that makes it a cultural product is that it has been cultivated in within the culture and people who spent time in that culture, who grew up in that culture, and were cultivating that skill are the best. The best they, they do it the best, they exhibit that talent the best, they exhibit that skill the best. Necessarily think she came out of. She definitely came from a musical family. I don't know. Let me not talk about what I don't really know about. But I guess my point is, you can't just walk around here and say, "Oh, I sing like Celia Cruz." Celia Cruz. I'm gonna just say it because I feel like I'm messing it up and I'm trying to say it um, in Spanish um, or the way someone would if they were pronouncing your name in the Spanish language. Um, you can't just walk around here and say that you sing like Celia Cruz. But one of these, th- one thing that I did notice is that Celia Cruz and um, Abby LaBelle sat here, and there's one
anyway, but that's enough of that. Spirituality at the end of the day is so personal. It's stupid. We want to make it so 
focus and we make want to make it so we want to put it in a box and you can't put spirituality in a box you just can't you can practice you can choose to practice certain ways but you cannot choose to live your spiritual life in a box that's not how we were anyway let me move on um because i'm supposed to be talking about squid game Um, 
All right, so in the next segment, I'm going to just give as many particulars as I possibly can because it's not functional, so there's just certain things that I'm not going to be able to add to it, like grossing. I don't think I'm going to be able to share with those how to gross. Don't know, we'll see. Um, and then I haven't figured out how I'm going to talk about it, but I've, I've given you the elements that I want to talk about. I'm going to talk about the show, definitely, the series. I'm going to try to be as succinct as possible because this episode is already proven up there. Um, but then I want to talk about some of the context that really got on my nerves when I was watching it because I feel like there was some things that I was missing. And it turns out I went on TikTok and found out that, yeah, there was things I was missing because of the translation, which makes me furious, especially since it's 2021 and we should have better translation than anyway. Um, so the next segment is all about the, uh, Korean drama, Squid Game. Okay, Squid Game. It's a it's a South Korean drama. Um, that first premiered um on Netflix, at least U.S. Netflix on um September seventeenth, so a few weeks ago. Um, and it has I just want to make sure nine episodes. And each episode is in t- is the title of a game or something that happens in a game. Um, if you haven't heard by now, this the, the Squid Game is a sick, twisted version of a reality game show where contestants of a game show where contestants um, compete to be the top winner. Um, Let me go a little bit further and read you the synopsis. So hundreds of cash-strapped contestants accept an invitation to compete in children's games for a tempting prize, but the stakes are deadly. So, um, before I get into the deadly stakes... Let's talk briefly about the cash-strapped part. Cash-strapped is a little bit misleading. It's like not quite a strong enough term. Everybody who participates in this game is dead broke and busted and the stakes like facing jail time, facing missing limbs from gangsters who are going to get their money. They're going to get it back in blood. One of the two, they go, they're go. they either going to get it in money or they're going to get it in blood, but they're going to get what they came for, right? Um, and the show stars a bunch of characters or a bunch of actors who, one, I definitely remember. She's not a lead, but I definitely remember her. These other folks, I'm not 100% sure of who the heck they are, um, other than pretty. Um, but I'm going to try to go because one of them, Gong Yu, who doesn't actually, he doesn't actually have a, um, he's not credited as having a name, but he's in the show. Who that man is attractive. Anyway, um, but let me go. So Sung Ho Yoon, 
plays Say Biok, uh, and by the way, I'm messing up these names, and I'm not doing it on purpose. It's just I suck at this. Um, plays a pickpocket down on her luck. Um, her family is in North Korea. She defected, or at least her mother's still in North Korea. She defected with her younger brother. Her younger brother is in an orphanage and she's down on her luck because she doesn't have any money and she's trying to, she's really trying to get money to do two things. Number one, get her brother out of the orphanage because he's a little boy and he should be with family. Number two, get his mom from North Korea, get her mom from North, their mother from North Korea because they need, she needs to get some gone from North Korea. Um, Park Hae-soo plays Cho Sang-woo. And I want to make sure I'm getting the actor. Yeah. Uh, Park Hae-soo plays um, Cho Sang-woo. Cho Sang-woo is, I believe this guy is a, a friend of the main character, which we'll get to in a minute. And it's kind of wild how in this cast list, the main, the main protagonist is not... Number one, but it's probably because these actors are more famous than he is. But anyway, um, Chang Sang Hu is, for all intents and purposes, a really smart econ guy who's in business, doing like a really smart person who came from the ghetto. It seems like he came from the ghetto um, or a little country provincial place and is doing big things, big things, big things. Um, the main character is always bragging about him, but this guy is in debt up to his ears to the point where not only is he in debt up to his ears, but he actually, no, I don't actually think he's in debt up to his ears. He just stole buku dollars and now the feds want him or the, the Korean version of the feds want him. Um, and so that's why he's at the squid game. Um, Mihae Jun plays Joan Ho, Jun Ho, who is basically just a numbers guy. Yeah, he's a part of the game itself. He's cute too. Um, Lee Jang-jae plays Seung Ji-hun, who is the lead guy. Boy, this guy is a triple time, like a quadruple time loser. This guy is a degenerate gambler. Like, he gambles. No, and you know what? Let me take that back because that was me being... That was putting ownership. That that was making him seem like a terrible person. This guy has a gambling problem, and as a result, he makes bad decisions. Um, gambles his money away. Gambled his mama's money away. He lives with his mom. Gambled his mama's money away. His wife divorced him because of his gambling problem. Um, his child doesn't really respect him because he's kind of come turned into a deadbeat dad because he he is dealing with this addiction this gambling addiction. So he's enters the game and I'll talk about how the entering part comes in. Um, but he enters the game, this game with deadly consequences, which I'll get to the consequences in a second. Um, because he runs, he went, he's betting at the track. He wins at the track and he's, it's his daughter. It's the day of his daughter's birthday. He swipes money from his mama to go to the track to the racetrack and bet on dogs, no, horses, bet on horses. Um, and he, he wins, he actually wins. Um, 
I'm not 100% sure exactly how much he won because something in the translation is off and then I don't quite understand the currency. Um, but I'll get to the, tra- yeah, we'll get to the translation piece in a minute. But clearly it was a lot of money. He won a lot of money. I'm, I'm guessing like four or five grand. Um, yeah, four or five grand, probably more than that. Like, you know, but like when you're at the track, I, I just don't see people walking away with more than like 20 grand in their pocket. So maybe it was the equivalent of 20 grand um, or less, just less than that. But like more than like two. Because he got geeked, like he called his, he wanted the track, called his daughter, talking about, yeah, we finna do whatever you want for your birthday because I haven't been there, but I'm gonna be there. Um, We're gonna have a bomb birthday. Anyway, so long story short, pickpocket, which actually, uh, say Bjork, say, say Bjork, played by Jung Ho Hyun, um, the, the defector, the, the South, the North Korean defector, she picks pockets, she pickpockets, um, Seong Ji-hoon. Um, and when the mobsters come, the mob, then the, he's leaving to go. He doesn't realize that he's been pickpock, pickpocketed by her, but long story short, the mobsters come and hem him up and like run me mob, run, try to run his pockets and he doesn't have anything in his pockets. They want what, what's owed to him and they were going to take something from him. But then he was like, uh, give me some more time. You know, they beat him up instead. And then he's got a certain amount of time to get his money or they're going to take something that he'll miss. So like a limb or, or a digit or something like that, like a finger or something. Anyway, so Lee Jung Jae is in the game because he has gambling problems. Not to mention his mother. His mother um, needs a surgery on her feet because she, I, she get, it give, very much gives me diabetic and she hasn't been taking care of herself. She is a store owner or at least a stall owner and she's on her feet all day and, but she can't not be on her feet because her son has a gambling problem, gambles all her money away and, you know, she's got to earn a living, you know? So anyway, so she's got a serious, like it, her foot looks like it's septic or something like that and that she could die. Um, and then the other issue that they're having is, or that um, Seung Ji Hoon is having is because, um, so he's divorced and the, his uh, ex-wife me, we remarried um, and the new husband, got a job in the United States and he's going to take the family, meaning um, Seung Ji Hoon's daughter to the United States. And, and um, Seung learns this on his daughter's birthday, or at least, yeah, on his daughter's birthday or a couple of days around it from his mother, who's like, you didn't, you didn't get it? They're gonna take her away from us if you don't try to fight for it. And so there's a custody piece in here too. So basically, this guy's just got it coming and going, gambling problems, about to lose his child, because he will never see that child again. He's already been not a great dad to her. And, you know, he's just not in a good place. Um, and his mama needs some money. So that's why he's in the game. Um, Gong Yu is the guy that invites people like Seung Gong Hu um, to the game, and Chong Seng Hu and Se Bae Bae Yuk. 
to the game and other players too, obviously. And there are, um, there are some other people in here that I won't go into, but long story short, um, Gong Yu, who I said was pretty. And when you Google him, when you Google the squid game and you come across Gong Yu, I don't know. I don't know what your taste is, but this man is attractive anyway. Um, or this person is attractive. I don't know how he identifies anyway. Um, there's one more player that's in here that unfortunately is not. Oh no. You know what? We hung June who plays June Ho. He's a player. <gasps> no, he's a police officer. Oh, he's cute too. We hung June is a, is a, uh, plays June, June, who, who is a police officer who's looking for his brother who was invited to play the game. He thinks was invited to play the game. And he's, he hasn't been seen since. And so Jun Ho, Jun Ho is um, a police. Yeah, he's doing his detective stuff. Um, anyway, in the, in the game, like that's how he fits into this. And his story is kind of short, to be honest with you. Like it's exciting, but short in the film or in the series. Um, there's a couple of front men. So I told you Gong, Gong Yu is a front man. Um, or at least the guy that's inviting them to the game. Um, Lee Byung Hong plays the front man. They literally just call him the front man. And then Tom Choi plays front man, another front man, basically. So there always has to be some people who are, they're saying it's front man. Let me just say this. Lee Byung Hong as the front man He's like the guy that's running the game. And Tom Choi as front man is someone like who's assisting the front man in running the game. And there's other people in here too, but the one person I want to pull out, where is she? Where is she? She's not on this list or maybe, you know how when you look up actors and the picture that they use is an image of them from like 20 years ago or an image where they're looking completely different. And maybe in the film, they've just, maybe they just did such a good job playing that character that you don't even under, you don't even know who the heck you're looking at. I think, I think it's Kim June Ryong, who's the woman that played in that very scary Korean film, South Korean film. Um, that's, wow, I, that was terrible. Anyway, I think I've seen her before in a film um, where of a preview, and I didn't even watch the film, but it was a preview of a, of a woman pushing a stroller and another young woman thought that, oh, she was being too loud and disturbing the baby. There was not a daggone baby in there. It turns out the woman is just, she's delusional at the moment um and some scary stuff happens so anyway but I, I remember her face but like these actor pictures kind of suck either that or she cleans up extremely extremely well which is probably true too anyway um so I think what I want to do I think what I want to do is tell you I think what I want to do is I want to tell you the, um, of the actors that I just named, I think I just want to tell you their numbers so that I can refer to them as their numbers. Um, because here's the other thing. 
The other thing about that is this game, when they're saying hundreds of players, it's actually 456 players that they've recruited for this particular version of the game. And the prize money, why, this, why so many people are recruited to play this game, is not just because it's children's game, children's games, but it's because they could win big money playing children's games, and that's what they're, that's what they're enticed with. Oh, you can win some real money. When they finally get there, they realize that the real money that they're talking about is for every player that's eliminated, there's a dollar amount that's associated with them. So with 456 players in the game, there's actually $45.6 billion in prize money on the line. And so there's an incentive for you to do a good job and not really give two, two craps about someone not doing good, meaning that they meet, they, they pay this, the losers get the, the shaft, like they don't really care about what the losers get um, because they're one step closer. Each time players are eliminated, they're one step closer to getting that $4.6 billion. Um, so like I said, Lee Jang Jong Jae plays Seong Ji Hon, who this man cleans up very well, by the way. I saw a picture of him. Um, I don't know what he was doing, but anyway, he looks like a, he looks terrible. He looks down on his luck and terrible in this film uh, or in this series, but oof, he cleans up. Anyway, he's player 456, so remember that. Uh, Seung Ji Hon plays player 456. Park Hae Su plays Cho Sang Woo, who's player 218. Remember what I said, Park Sang Woo is the, the economics guy who is about to go to jail essentially about to go to prison. Um, and, oh, the other thing is, uh, and, well, hold on. Uh, Cho Sang-woo is player 218. Remember that. So player 456 grew up with player 218. And player 456, when he runs into player 218, um, is all, like, starstruck and basically, like, bigging this guy up because he came from the hood. He, he came from the, you know, the country. He made something of himself. Anyway, um, Jung-Hoo Yeon, who plays uh, Kang Se-byok, is number 67. Remember, that's the, the North Korean defector, player 67. And I will say enough, a number, I will say, make a note about this, these numbers in a minute. Um, <clears throat> Oh Jung-Soo, plays Oh Il-Nan, he's player number one. This is an elderly man. I did not bring him up. He's an elderly man that plays. Um, and what we find out about um, him is that he's playing because he has a brain tumor. And he's like, I'm playing because it's better than sitting here waiting to die. Because um, his brain tumor is inoperable. So player one. Um, was I really going to go... I'm not going to go through all of this stuff. I'm not going to go through all of this, but I do want to say um, Kim Joo. Oh, it is Kim Joo Ryong. Kim Joo Ryong is the woman that I did see. She's player 212. She plays Han Mi Nyo, which you don't, you hear their names a couple of times, but you more so see their numbers all the time. And I'll get to that. Well, essentially because they're assigned these numbers. And then when they get to the game, no, they're assigned, they're, 
when they get to the game, they're assigned these numbers and you know their number because it's on their clothing. So that's why it's just easier to refer to them by their numbers is because you might hear their name once or twice, but you hear, you see their numbers and hear their numbers all the time throughout the series. Um, so Kim Ju Ryung um, as Han, Han Mi Nyo is player 212. This woman, she's just a villain. Well, it's a villain is not even quite the right term for her because she's, it's clear that this woman is a survivalist and she does a lot of things to survive. And then she does an ultimate gangster thing at the end because she's a person of her word, but I'll get to what she said she did in a little bit, or maybe I won't. But anyway, um, oh, I already said we have June as Huang Jun Ho is the police officer who's trying to find his brother. Um, but here's who I want to spend time on. Anapam Tripathi. Tripathi. Tripathi? I don't, I'm not saying it right. Anyway, Anapam Tripathi as Abdul Ali, which is the most... That is a very stereotypical. That's almost that's as bad as Abu, Abu in uh, the Simpsons. That that uh, South Asian character Abu, Abdul Ali is about as generic. Now, mind you, that's like saying Steve Smith here in the United States. I get it, or John, John Johnson. Very generic name, but in the movie, I'm gonna tell you why. There's a reason why I'm pulling this out. But Abdul Ali is about as stereotypical and generic as you can get, even though that's somebody's probably real, a lot of somebody's real name in real life, but that you would play, you would call this character, this name, and this Korean, South Korean uh, drama is a setup. Anyway, Abdul Ali is, um, he's an immigrant in South Korea trying to earn a living for his wife and his daughter or his child. I don't, we don't know the gender, but I think it's his son. Anyway, his wife and his child. And so the reason why he enters the game is out of desperation, not because of bad, poor mistakes that he made, not for, he is an immigrant that's getting treated like an immigrant. He's working in a shop. It's basically something like a sweatshop and he's working his fingers to the bone and right next to a lot of other South Asian immigrants um, at this, that, that are recruited to work at the shop and the shop owner isn't paying them. And so he's got to get money for his family. His family is, his, his wife and child are starving. And so that's why he enters the game because he's got to get food for his family. And it's, he doesn't speak much of the, um, he doesn't speak much Korean and He doesn't speak much Korean. And so he really needs, there's a reason why I paused here. I got a lot to say about this character um, or the writing of this character. I really, really do. Um, but anyway, he's, he's he, there out of complete desperation for his family. So everybody there is desperate. Oh, by the way, Abdul Ali is player 199. All right. So every player here is desperate for something. We know player 456 
is down on his luck and he better get some money or he's about to lose something he'll miss. Plus he's about to lose his daughter. Plus his, his mother really needs this life-saving surgery, right? Let's talk about the numbers for a second. These numbers have meaning. The numbers represent the number in which, the order in which they were recruited. So the old man, Olil Nan, was number one. He was the first one recruited. Player 456, Seung Ji Hoon, is the last player recruited. And so everybody else in between was just, you know, Cho Sang Woo, 218, was recruited, the 218th person recruited. Um, by the uh, that pretty man I was telling you about um, who doesn't have a character name but woo-wee is just pretty anyway how they're recruited is they're humiliated first they're basically humiliated to the point of to the point where it's uncomfortable and it's out in public too. So essentially, they're, try- they're trying to play a game. Basically, and I'm sure it's a regular childhood game. No, actually, I think that's a game that's universal where they're trying to flip somebody's... It's like these little paper... These little paper things. These little paper s- s- boxes. Kind of, excuse me, kind of like the numbers game. The You know where you took a piece of paper, you folded it a certain... You, you, put um, numbers on the squares and you folded it a certain way and then what was that game called where you put it on your fingers and you stretched it lengthwise and stretched it widthwise and then you told somebody to choose to pick a number and then they would pick a number and underneath that number was written a note or something or like a dare that they would have to do y'all know what I'm talking about that game that little paper hand paper game anyway it kind of looked like the shape of that before you actually put your hand in it and start to play with it. And anyway, you flip it over. And I'm quite sure there is a universal, the actual game that they're talking about is a game that I'm sure somebody in the United States who is not of Korean descent or a part of the Asian diaspora has played before. Because at the end of the day, you know, a lot of games are, are kind of shared or very similar just because that's how culture works. Um, in a lot of ways. Um, but anyway, they're trying to play a, a kid's game and big money is on the line. Uh, the, the pretty man that I was telling you about is saying, if you flip my little paper over, um, I'll give you a million dollars or whatever, like some ridiculous amount of num- n- money. It wasn't like a hundred dollars. It was more than that. I'll give you this money and, and opens up a brick, uh, a brick, opens up a suitcase and has a whole bunch of money in a suitcase. Um, and then, so everybody, literally everybody's like, okay, bet this is a child's game. Of course I can flip your thing over, but they're never able to. And I, I submit the reason why they're not able to is because the guys is weighted and theirs isn't because for every time that they don't flip over the pretty man's paper, the pretty man has a chance to flip over their paper by throwing his paper square on theirs to flip it over that's why I know it's a universal game I just don't know what it's called anyway um or a game that many different kids across the globe have played but anyway so when the pretty man flips their thing over he gets to smack them because of course these people can't bet the same amount of money so he's like all right well I'll take it in a slap I'll get my money out of in a slap and so 
because I think he cheated and, and the thing is weighted, or maybe they're just terrible at this. Um, but actually, no, it's got to be weighted because there's, there's a method to this. Um, he's literally sitting in these public places, in subways, on the street, what have you, slapping these people in the face who are already desperate, who are already broken in some way or the next. He's literally in public smacking the taste out of their mouth. And they're staying there because they want that money because they're desperate, right? And so I think the reason why that paper, the reason why they're not able to flip that man's paper over is because, and I might, that might be all wrong with, I might be all wrong, but there's a point at which after a while, they all do flip it back over. They do flip the pretty man's thing, the paper over, which kind of blows up my weighted theory unless the pretty man is doing something specific to make it flip over. But anyway, you know, that he, I guess in recruiting the pretty man, by the way, who knows all of these people's business because of course he does. He rattles off all of their business as a way to suck them in. So they, he knows that they have money problems. And he's like, I'm going to help you try to solve these money problems and I can help you get a whole lot more where that comes from. He knows that he, he wants to make sure that they're really in this thing, that they're really as desperate as they could possibly be. That's part. That's why the public humiliation. And so all 456 players went through the same public humiliation. This man, this man, that's a, that's a sadist for sure. 456 player, he slapped players. He slapped the devil out of, or at least that's what the, the, the implication is that 456 players, he slapped the devil out of them for 20 minutes or better. 456 times. Uh, uh, what a sadist. But whatever, he got all of these people. He recruited them. And so he rounded up all of these people. And long story short, they, these people get picked up. They, they're told to meet at a certain place at a certain time. And, and at that that's a designated time a van comes picks them up and in that van um they get gassed to go to sleep because obviously they can't be told where they're going so all 56 players it's have gone through that and what ends up happening is they go to sleep the last thing they remember is being picked up in the van the next thing that they see is that they wake up in this space and they have in this like something like a massive gymnasium and they have track suits with their numbers on them. Remember the, the number that they were assigned when they were recruited? Because it was the, num- it was the, the number in line they were when, as a recruit. And again, Seung Ji-hoon was the very last player to be recruited for this series. And so anyway, so people are meeting up with each other and that's where uh, 456 meets uh, 218, the fancy smart guy who embezzled a lot of money and is about to go to the who's cow anyway so he meets him and you know it's kind of embarrassing because it's like well i'm not too much of a big shot anymore because we're all here because we're degenerate gamblers and blah 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 and so the rules of the game are explained to all of the players when this game win big bucks lose the game consequences are dire. So like, oh, okay, it's fine. So whatever, everybody is told. And when I tell you gymnasium, it's like a abysmal 
gymnasium, an abysmal gymnasium um, with some basic cots, essentially, that they would sleep on. But it's cool. Everybody's like, all right, well, we can play these child. We can play these childhood games if it means that we have a chance to really change our whole life and the lives of our families. So we're about to do this. I don't care how many players there are. We're about to do this because we're all desperate. So everybody's kind of not taking it. Everybody's like, okay, whatever. This is a game. It's cool. We're going to do this. So the thing about it is the only people whose faces you see are the players, the people who are managing the game. Indeed, the um, front, the front man, the front man and front man, you never see their face. Well, you, you see the front man's face at the end, but in the game, in the context of the game, you never see them. The players are not supposed to see any of the workers' faces or that of the front man um, because it ruins the anonymity of the thing and for re- other reasons that you'll come to know in a minute. So the very first game, it, com- it becomes time for them to play the very first game. And I'm not even sure at this point they're thinking how long this will take or how long this whole thing will will last, this whole ordeal will last. They just are here and focused on the money. How difficult could it be, right? The very first game, they're taken to this essentially playground, not not necessarily a playground, but like this open space with like, that looks like, you remember when you went to recess and, or if you have kids now and you see them on the playground, what do playgrounds look like? Even with the, with the asphalt, they've got children's drawings on it in chalk. They've got the, um, the, the walled in places of the uh, schoolyard um, have children or very joyful, joyful and jovial photos of kids and fun things, right? Because it's supposed to elicit the feeling of this is where you go play. You know, there's lots of bright colors and, and things to play on because it's supposed to elicit that feeling of joy and, and allowing a kid to be free and let loose. So they're in this courtyard, this huge courtyard that they're walking into. It kind of reminds me of a playground just with no equipment in it, um, except for a tree and this very tall animatronic little girl in a red dress with a yellow shirt, the little stockings, the little shoes, and her hair and little pigtails. She's the one, uh, if you're on Twitter, she's the one that Mariah, the, um, that uh, Black-owned uh, shop, that Black-owned, something like Black-owned Etsy, which if you, you really should be supporting that, literally all of Mariah, it's not spelled how you think it's spelled, it, but it's, it's pronounced Mariah, but it's, M-I-I-R, I shoot, I'll get, I'll spell it later, but it's Mariah. Um, anyway, but Mariah has used that um, to crack on people. That shop has, has used it to crack on people. Several people have been using, you've seen this meme. You've seen the meme of these big brown eyes looking a specific way of this little girl's face. This is where this comes, this scene, this this act basically is where this comes from. I guess this would be considered part of act one. Um, like the end of act one is where this animatronic little girl comes from uh, because the game that they're playing, again, she's against a tree. The game that they're playing is red light, green light. 
red light, green light, one, two, three. That's what they're playing, which is the funnest game ever. And I love watching little babies play it because the 10 and 12 year olds, like they have control of it. They have, um, like they understand the game. They can stick. I like, I love it when they stand soldier steel, just like when you say red light, green light, one, two, three. And then they, they pause and they stop and they, they have their control over their body. And more than that, like, even if they, um, had ability issues, like the, they're in it and they're like serious about it. It's still cute to see their faces and their con- the concentration on their faces because they're serious about it. But it is something about the little tykes playing Red Light, Green Light, One, Two, Three. They're, it's like they, under- they understand the concept, but it's hard to get their brain wrapped around it because they're so excited. So even though they're not supposed to move, of course they move. Um, and when they move, of course, you, you know, if you move, you're out, right? And so anyway, I love this game, but not in this movie, because in this Red Light, Green Light, One, Two, Three, um, if you are the, the animatronic little girl, her body is facing because, you know, you, the, the person who's it um, is supposed to count is, is doing the Red Light, Green Light, One, Two, Three, and they have to close their eyes and you're supposed to make it to them before they get you. Like, you're supposed to make it to home base before they get you, right? Um, And in this context, she, because she's a robot, her, her head swivels to her back, but her body doesn't move. So that's already makes it weird. The other thing that makes it weird is that her eyes are cameras. And wherever her eyes land, she's basically zooming around trying to scan to see who's out. In this context though, when you're out, you're dead. So literally, if you move, remember I told you, the little babies, you're not supposed to move in red light, green light. The little babies move. You know, if you move, you're out. Well, these folks, if you move, you're out and dead because as soon as when they move, their movement is detected by this animatronic little girl. And the people, somehow or another, the guards whose faces you never see, um, who are who are identified by squares, like the peons are, are identified by circles. The bosses are, are identified by uh, triangles, and then their bosses are identified by squares or, or one vice versa. Um, I think I got that right. Yeah, the peons are circles. No, the, pe- the peons are circles, the bosses are triangles, the front man is a square. And you learn that very on the hierarchy pretty quickly. You kind of learn it. Anyway, um, so you've got all of these circles just sitting there with machine guns. And you didn't realize, I guess, I guess even though they were playing, they were like, they saw these, the players saw these people with the machine guns, but they were like, all right, well, let me just be cool about this. But I didn't think, uh, you, you don't get the sense that they understood that they would actually use those machine guns or those guns on the players, but they ended up doing it. And so again, every single time the animatronic little girl finds that you've moved, you get shot dead. And so people are getting shot dead. And this is when they realize the stakes are super high. This is what they realize. Oh, shoot. 
to lose is to die. And so they get through this game and 456 people start this game. By the end of it, nearly 200 are already gone. 200 are shot dead. And in the middle of this, one thing to note, player 218 is saved by player 199. 218 is the, the investment guy who's about to go to, to the, the feds about to get him. And 199 is Abdul Ali, right? The immigrant. 199 saves 218. At which is so cold. There's a, re- there, there's a reason why this is poignant. He saves 218 from surely dying. And you think that there's some allegiance. Certainly 199 thinks that 218 is going to have his back going forward. And, and 218 throughout the series shows that he does have his back. Um, and anyway, the game concludes with 456, 218, 06, 01, 101, 199, of course, at 212, um, making it through that first game and everybody shook up. Everybody's like, what the what? So that, you know, they're all shook up and they go back to that dormitory that they were in, that they were put in while every, all of the circle guards are cleaning up the playground. And anyway, this is where the money piece comes in because at first they're like, what kind of game is this? And and you think there's going to be a revolt. And then there's a big fat giant piggy bank that's in the middle of the gymnasium. That's, I didn't tell you that before. When the rules of the game were explained, you know, you have to play fair. You're going to play these kids games and, and whoever wins, wins the big pot. But there was no money in the piggy, the big clear plastic piggy bank. Well, when they get back from playing uh, Red Light, Green Light, excuse me, the big plastic piggy bank is there. And while they're all frustrated and trying to figure out, you know, how the heck to get out of there, some wads of cash, like bundled bills, start falling into the bottom of it. And it's a lot. And then it's like millions of dollars. Not the billions yet, but millions of dollars fall into the bottom of that that um, uh, piggy bank because uh, every player has a dollar amount associated with them. And again, $46.5 billion is on the line. And what they're coming to realize is those represent people. And if you want to get the 456, the, main, the sole winner is the one that's going to get the 456. But then they also recognize that if you are a loser, you die. And so they're grappling with winning or losing, winning or losing. And so I'm going to be honest with you. I binged this series. So some of this is kind of blurring together. All I will say is that there's a point at which everybody, the the games of this, uh, the rules of this game are pretty clear. If everybody agrees that in order to play this game, you had to sign a contract. Anonymity was part of it. Not to say, not to tell anybody um, about the game. Excuse me. And there's a clause in there that says if the majority of the players decide not to play the game and want to quit, then we'll leave you to go home. You won't get any of the money, but we'll leave you. We'll leave you to go home and and we'll never bother you again. We'll drop you back off where we found you and call it a doggone day. You'll still have the same debts. You'll still have the same problems. We'll call it a day. And so anyway, um, Player 218 invokes this clause and then they do a tally. 
And, it, and I believe it's after the first game. And come to find out, they all decide to take the ball and go home because who wants to stomach get earning four hundred fifty six, four hundred sixty, forty six point five million or billion dollars at the expense of four hundred and 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 sixty five or sixty four people. The deaths of four hundred and sixty five people that they or sorry. billion is what they're going to win. But that would mean that 455 people lost their lives. And who wants to do that, right? So they draw straws. Excuse me, and overwhelmingly decide that no, we don't, the the cost is is too expensive. So they're, they're done. So everybody goes home and the situations are even worse when they go home. And so before long, they're calling, they're calling, they have, they, they have a card to breach the pretty man. And so before long, they're calling the pretty man and everybody that's with them. And they end up getting right back in the game, but not before player 456 tries to tell on, tries to expose them. But of course the police don't, nobody really... Nobody understands what the heck he's talking about, thinks this guy is um, making things up, thinks this guy is probably also drunk or high because it sounds fantastic. It sounds ridiculous, right? Like, you mean to tell me some people kidnapped you and made you play children's games? And if you won that children's games, if you won the children's games, you'd be one step closer to winning billions of dollars. And if you lost that, they would kill you. Where those streets would be running red. Where are the bodies? And the guy's like, well, it was off a remote island. And he's like, well, what island is it? And, and of course, player uh, 456 can't tell him because he doesn't know anything. Because remember, he was put to sleep when getting, when being taken to the island. So anyway, but it's at this point where we're introduced to the police officer, that beautiful, one more beautiful man. I'll tell you, they know how to pick him. But anyway... Juan Jun Ho, who um, is, is trying to find his brother. So long story short, when all of the players decide to go back, and I mean just about all of the players come back, uh, the police officer, and I'll just refer to him as a police officer, sneaks, somehow or another finds a way to sneak on to the island too. Like, it's pretty ridiculous how he sneaks on, but whatever, he does it. And anyway, um... So long story short, the game keeps going on. It keeps getting more cutthroat. There's a lot of moral issues that come in here, but the there's a lot of moral issues that come up. But of course, in the end, the biggest showdown, which I will tell you and I'll tell you no more, the biggest showdown ultimately in the end becomes between player 456 and player 218. And even after that, player four, 456 ends up victorious. And so he wins the $45.6 billion wins it all. Excuse me, wins it all, but can't live with himself. So there's a whole nother piece to that. And so anyway, there's a story here that is really compelling because in this whole game, what we see is 456 kind of reclaiming his power 
and standing up in his personhood and being like a stand-up person. Whereas before he was kind of not really realizing his potential, not really realizing the power as an individual that he had. Um, and so, yeah, he's, <clears throat> we see him transform into like a person with a, with a spine and a backbone that has morals and things like that, even though he's playing in this very immoral game. Um, and that's really great. That's really compelling to see. There's also a whole lot of misogyny in this thing and a whole lot of tokenism in the character of Abu. Ab, excuse me, Abdul Ali. So remember I told you, Hang Min Neil, she is a woman who is a, she's a survivalist. You can't say that she's anything but. The problem I have with that is that she gets treated terribly in this game. It's like she does what she has to, so they're giving her power. But then at the end, it's like, I just don't enjoy how they treated her. And actually, when you watch it, how she goes out is kind of stunning and frustrating. Abdul Ali, player 199, gets played by player 218 in the end. And I will talk about that, but I'm sure you've seen those memes on, on um, Facebook, as, or uh, sorry, Twitter as well. Not on Facebook, because Facebook was down for a minute. <laughs> anyway, um, but no, so like he gets played. The way that they wrote him is bizarre the way that they wrote him is bizarre, but it, I just, all right, let me get into it. If I, let me just, let me just go there. Cause the, the, I, I encourage you to watch the show because it's very interesting, extremely interesting, but I have got to get this off my chest. So I guess my real concern, my real frustration is it's clear that player 199 is some sort of a, player 199 is definitely a stereotype, but I don't know the purpose of player 199 except to make sure that player 218 advances. Which is a prop. And I guess I'm frustrated only because I guess I wasn't expecting to see people being used as props in that way in non-Western culture movies. And I don't know why that is because Racism, xenophobia, it, it, that knows, that's not just, well, I'm, it's, I'm sure it's a Western invention, but like it's global at this point. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being naive, but I really, really took offense to 
Player 199's character. It was very one-dimensional. Very... Like, every, every player was down on their luck, but this one felt even worse. Like, and maybe this is real. Like, it, you know, a lot of movies... This, this movie strikes me as one that is trying to show horror, the horror of everyday life, but turn it on its head. Like, what if all of these poor people who were down on their luck, which these stories do exist... Immigrants get used all the time, but let me just really dive in the drive in the point and twist in the screw. You know what I mean? Twist the twist the knife in further. So let me make sure that not only is player 199 an immigrant, but he's an immigrant from a South Asian country and he doesn't speak the lang he doesn't speak Korean or he doesn't speak Korean well. And as a result, a couple of things. He's uh, he's treated poorly, like very poorly. He works at a job where it's a sweatshop and it's under the table and he doesn't get paid. Or his the boss withholds money. And let's make sure that he lives in a hovel. And he has a young child and a wife. And he's the sole provider. And let's put him in this situation and let me let's make it so bad. And then to make his situation so dire, we put him in this game where he's desperate. And even in the game where you're, you are meant to, it's clear that you are supposed to survive and everyone else is supposed to die in order for you to get any money at all. And so let him, let us put him in this game and yeah, let him make, let him be a part of making alliances because you need to be able to survive but let him do all the sacrificing. Let him do most of the sacrificing and then let him cozy up to someone who makes it seem as if they're looking out for him more than anyone else in, in player 218. And then let's set up a scenario where now at the end, and actually I take offense to all of this because it's not just 199 and um, 218, but... Um, uh, player 67 and another young woman that she was with. And then there was a husband and wife uh, that were paired together. Let's put them in an impossible situation. Oh, oh, by the way, uh, player 456 is put with player one, the old man. The one that he had been protecting this whole time. But let, but, but go back to player 199 and 218. Let's put them in an impossible situation where literally it's between one or the other. And you have to win without harming them. And after everything that we know about 199, after what, seeing him save player 218... Player 199 goes out in the worst way possible. He loses the game in the worst way possible. And I think that's just on top of all the tropes that he was living as his character. That's just frustrating for me to see. But, and again, I know the director is trying to make a point like, yeah, let's just, this whole game, it's put on by rich board people and... You know, let's just imagine for a second 
that instead of the rich, poor people in our real lives playing with our lives by uh, being lobbyists, backing lobbyists that make sure that they get to politicians that keep money in our pockets and keep uh, taxes low and, and shield us at every turn, let's really make it into a game for real. Like a, a children's game. Like I get the social commentary that it's making. It's just, I really don't like, I, I don't like how we arrived here. The other thing is, the pitiful thing is the, the player 67 and the other player that she was with, I forget the number of this particular player, but she was pitted against player 67 for all intents and purposes, an orphan, a North Korean defector whose mother is still in North Korea and whose brother is in an orphanage. He's in an orphanage. So every, she turns to be a pickpocket because that's all she, she's just trying to survive. And so let's put her in an impossible situation where she's with another orphan who was also sexually abused by her priest of a father, pastor of a father, what have you. Um, and then let's make it so that it's, it's, it's them. It's one of them. Like there's a piece of this that's like, it's meant to be something like a horror drama, something like that. But like, there's nothing, it doesn't feel entertaining. It feels, it feels like an entertainment movie at the expense of people who's, who really are living aspects of these lives. It's like, we're so unmoved by regular horror that we have to then dip into reality horror, which is what this kind of feels like. And again, it's, it's, it's taking the things that we say that politicians and rich people do all the time, which is play with folks' lives, and we actually, or play games with folks' lives, and we actually put them in a game. And I think, I think I'm just not impressed with the irony of that. I'm not impressed, yeah, I think that's the thing that's frustrating me. So it's, and I forgot the players, uh, the woman, shoot, I was just talking about her. The woman in that one show, shoot. Oh, 212. Player 212. We really don't know what her circumstance is other than she's a hustler. She comes into the show hustling. You know, she's acting like she's acting, she's begging for mercy in the very beginning, like she's a young a mom with a young kid and just let her go, give her mercy because this is not what she signed up for. And then she starts being cutthroat and then aligning herself with gangsters and stuff like that, trying to curry favor with them, thinking that she's created some sort of alliance. She's she's advancing in the in the stages. And then she realizes that the gangster turned on her at his first opportunity. And so she sets out to then, instead of trying to win the game at all costs, she sets out to seek revenge on this guy that did her wrong. And I'm like, what, how did we go from her being a hustler and finding a way to survive to her seeking ultimate revenge and abandoning all of her plans to survive and win? Like, how does she come in as a cutthroat and leave as someone, a woman scorned? Like, how do we get there? Like, I, I just, I'm, it's frustrating to me because there's some good points in here. It's like, this isn't, um, what was that one 
Korean film, one South Korean film, Parasite. This isn't Parasite. Par- at least, at the very least, Parasite. It was like you were on the grifter side, but then you realized the grifter didn't always get it in the end because it's never going to be that perfect. And for every one of you, there's also somebody else trying to grift too. And let's just get to the root of the fact that why do we need to be grifting? This, this parasite had a moral. What the heck is the moral of this thing? And I know, I know what you're saying. Like, especially if you're a film, uh, you know, you, uh, not a film snob, but if, you know, you watch a lot of films, maybe you're like, or maybe you have a background in, in filmmaking. Maybe you're like, that's not the point. The point is not to have a moral. The point is to put a mirror up to society. I guess my frustration is what are you showing me? The things, are you saying that the things that I don't like is the things that are real in society? But the, uh, uh, player 199, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just, maybe I am doing too much. Maybe I am reading too much into it. I just, I don't, I just, I I didn't, I just didn't love how these characters ended. I was, you had me when you, when you hooked me up with them and you had me in the middle, but then toward the end, you started to lose me completely. And then you really lost me with 456 and the way the movie ended. Like, honestly, I'm, this guy started out as a deadbeat dad. And to be honest with you, I kind of feel like he still is a deadbeat dad. I don't know. You have to watch it for yourself to understand, to get where I'm coming from. And then maybe you'll have a different perspective, but I still kind of feel like he's a deadbeat dad. Um, so, so there's that, but then, you know, there's another, another thing that really frustrates me. And this is Netflix USA. The, at this point, you have been on Twitter, you've seen, or social media, that's not Facebook, you've seen um, the media talking about how poorly, how poorly the um, subtitles were translated, in English, at least, I don't know about the other language, but in English, there's so much context that I feel like is missing. And here's how I knew before I even saw on social media, I think I sh- I think I shared this at the beginning of the recording, but even before I was, as I was watching the show, before I even looked on social media to understand that, that the translation was a problem. When every time they talked about money, they said, you know, a, a billion dollars won. And like, they would use the, t- the, 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 the word one after referencing money, even when it was like uh, player 456 was uh, running it, uh, the uh, his creditors ran into him and he was and they were like, you owe me 156 million one. And I'm like, what do you mean? You're using one incorrectly here. Does this mean something else? Are you meaning to say that you literally you just owe me a, a 156 million? And, and then whatever the currency name is, is that what you're meaning? Like, I, that was my first clue. That was my first clue that something was off. I think there was another time where what was, what was translated didn't look like what was expressed in the, in the scene. But like, I couldn't know for sure because I don't speak Korean. 
And then I went on social media after I finished and I, then I started seeing these TikToks and these other videos of folks who do speak Korean, who are native uh, Korean speakers. And there was this one woman whose name I have forgotten, but she used an illustration when player one was talking to player 456 and talking about, you know, there was a point, I, there was a, yeah, they were just talking and there was a point where player one was trying to convey how much, basically convey their relation, their, his relationship with 456, basically extending like a high honor to player 456. But the English translation was just like, yeah, we're friends. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's the difference between saying, yeah, we hang out sometimes and then saying, yeah, that's my dog. You know what I mean? Like if you if you're translating, yeah, that's my dog into yeah, we hang out occasionally. Those are two different meanings. That's my dog means that y'all are thick as thieves. Y'all hang out all the time. Y'all are best, you know, your best friends. And we and we hang out sometimes. We kick it sometimes means that y'all are just acquaintances. Those are two different things. And that's essentially what she was explaining that the meaning that was conferred in that scene meant more than how the translation described it. And so Lord knows what else I've missed. You know, other people have missed when they're listening, when they're watching this and they're, and they're not uh, Korean speakers. So they don't, they're only using what the translations are giving them. Like how much more meaning are we, did we miss? In this context, though, um, I did see a note and I said I saw more than one person say this. But people were saying, like, if you listen to the dubbed version where the, it's a voiceover dub, the the um, the translations are closer. So I don't know, there might be a fix for the translation piece, but like, come on, Netflix, like I th- at first I thought it was my TV. No, it was Netflix. And so I'm like, y'all can't do no better. Like, really, all the money you got, you can't devote any more time and energy into better translations? Like, come on. Come on. Let's be for real. Anyway, that's... I I don't want to keep complaining about the whole thing. It's just those were the things that really bothered me, that really stuck out. But overall, I mean, is this a Parasite? Like, is this, like, movie as important to me as Parasite? No, but it's very, very thought-provoking. It's thought provoking and it was good to, to be exposed to these actors and that I hope to see again. Um, yeah, if anything, it just makes me want to consume more Korean um, films and TV. Hopefully with better translation. But yeah, anyway, that's that. That's that, 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 and that on that. Um, yeah, I think I've rambled long enough. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, I really appreciate you. Again, this is a hobby that I do. So if you uh, rate it favorably, it's just one more opportunity. And uh, rate it favorably, leave a positive comment and share it. Those just That's just a, a small way of you um, helping me to spread the reach of this show, get it into the view of more people so that they can listen more and And I just, you know, keep me doing this thing that I do. So I appreciate you. I hope you are having a good day. If you're not, 
having the greatest of days. I hope you will have a good day soon. If you're not feeling great, I hope you will feel great soon. You deserve it. You matter. Um, hopefully you can get some rest. Hopefully you can enjoy the, the season changing and just get, find you some peace. I want that for you. All right, that's it for now. Until next time.